Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about how scientists study mystical experiences and why they want to do it in the first place, and how researchers made the most precise measurement of a neutron's lifetime. Let's satisfy some curiosity. We've talked before about how psychedelics like LSD or psilocybin can really help people who suffer from conditions like PTSD, severe depression, and alcoholism. When they use the drugs, these people often have mystical experiences that seem to treat unhealable wounds. Well, that poses a bit of a problem for researchers because the mystical is, by its definition, inaccessible to science. But they're doing their best to examine it through a scientific lens. So let's talk about how. And for the record, researchers have made a lot of progress in figuring out what psychedelics do to the brain. For example, people often experience dreamlike hallucinations while they're on LSD. A 2016 study with 20 participants explains why. Usually, a person can see because information from the eyes is processed in the visual cortex. Brain scans taken during the 2016 study show that when a person is taking LSD, their visual cortex is getting information from all over the brain, not just the eyes. And that probably explains visual hallucinations. But it's not always so easy to draw connections between what's happening in a person's brain and what that person is experiencing in their mind. People on psychedelics often feel like they've transcended ordinary reality and made contact with something greater and more powerful than themselves. This is especially important because this feeling of transcendence is the mystical part of a psychedelic trip that seems to help people. Brain scans of people on psychedelics show unusual brain activity that seems to correspond with mystical experience, but the picture is far from clear. One study found that psychedelics seem to decrease blood flow to a network of brain regions that maintains boundaries between other parts of the brain. Those interconnected regions are called the default mode network. An overactive default mode network has been seen in mental health conditions like anxiety and OCD. And researchers think reducing the activity in this network could create a meditative state and even temporarily shut down a person's sense of self. Another problem with understanding mystical experiences scientifically is that everyone has their own definition of the mystical. For example, researchers have developed a survey called the Mystical Experience Questionnaire that they give to patients and study participants who have just finished a psychedelic experience. By having participants indicate things like whether they lost their sense of time or felt that all is one, researchers claim to be able to put their mystical experience to a real measurement. But others say the questionnaire is biased toward a Judeo-Christian view of reality and that it won't offer useful insights for future researchers to build on. These researchers call for new theories around psychedelics that are grounded purely in science, not in mysticism. But the other side says mysticism is key to the psychedelic experience. In terms of who's right, more research may be the only way to know. You can't make bread without knowing about flour. And you can't understand the universe without knowing about neutrons. 
which is why scientists have been working for decades to nail down exactly how long neutrons survive. Knowing that would teach us more about everything that makes up our universe, and even how our universe came to be. And recently, scientists announced that they'd achieved the most precise measurement of a neutron's lifetime ever. And they did it by putting 40 million naked neutrons in a super cold magnetic bathtub. You see, usually neutrons buddy up with protons to form stable atomic nuclei. But when a neutron is all on its own, it's a lot more fragile. It takes about 15 minutes for the average neutron to decay into a collection of other particles in a process called beta decay. The neutron turns into a proton, an electron, and a near-massless antineutrino. Neutrons decay spontaneously according to a statistical distribution. That is, there's a range of time they take to die. So to figure out the range, the scientists needed to look not just at a single neutron, but at a whole bunch of them at once. And that's where the bathtub comes in. It's hard to keep the neutrons together for very long, so measurements could be taken. That's why the researchers turned to the ultra-cold neutron tau, or UCN, equipment at Los Alamos Neutron Science Center, or LANSK. Unlike the high-energy colliders at the famed CERN in Switzerland, the LANSK UCN is decidedly more chill. Particles move slowly, at speeds on the order of a few meters per second, a far cry from CERN's breakneck paces that approach the speed of light. Neutrons created from the UCN source were cooled using solid deuterium, a hydrogen atom with an extra neutron. This slowed them down so the research team could capture the particles in a quote-unquote bathtub using 4,000 magnets. Every hour or so, the scientists took a measurement of the number of neutrons that remained in the tub. They kept going for about 11 days. Then, rinse and repeat. The team conducted the same experiment multiple times in order to gather a large sample of data. Using this method, they came up with the most accurate measurements of beta decay so far, accurate to about one-tenth of one percent. So, what's the number? On average, a neutron decays in 14 minutes and 37.75 seconds, plus or minus 0.28 seconds. But I think I'd want to get out of the cold bath before then, wouldn't you? Yes. It was a good time. Let's recap what we learned today, Ashley. Well, we learned that the ability for psychedelics to heal people with PTSD, depression, and alcoholism seems to come down to their ability to create a mystical experience. But the mystical is kind of inaccessible to science, so scientists are having a hard time understanding the phenomenon. Brain scans and questionnaires have helped a little, but other scientists say we should do away with the idea of mysticism in psychedelic research altogether and focus solely on what can really be measured. It's a dilemma. I'm following psychedelics research right now, and there are researchers who are trying to develop drugs that will isolate particular chemicals to try to give people the therapeutic effects of psychedelics and remove the hallucinatory experience altogether so that they don't have that subjective, quote unquote, mystical experience. And it's a hot debate as to like whether you can do that. Again, is it like, do I need to hallucinate things and think that I've seen a higher power or whatever it is in order to receive those therapeutic effects? Or is it all chemical? So it's a very like materialist versus subjective experiential kind of debate. And it's going to be really interesting to see what scientists are able to come up with to resolve it. I'm kind of on the side of the scientists that say we can take out the mysticism 
at least in the way that it's measured. Because, you know, things happen in your brain and the things that happen in your brain can be measured. And putting it in a frame that may not be the frame that the person experiences it in just kind of convolutes the data. And so if we can find ways of measuring what happens in the brain objectively when people are doing psychedelic therapy, that will be better for everybody. I mean, they can have a mystical experience, but there doesn't have to be like a questionnaire where you're like, did you feel that all was one? And you have to say yes. And then and then that means that it worked or whatever. If we can find ways of measuring it objectively without things like that, I think we'd be better off. I personally am skeptical that researchers can just move around brain chemicals without having a person have a subjective, meaningful experience and still enjoy the same therapeutic benefits of psychedelics. Yeah. And I'm not saying that either. What I'm saying is that we don't have to measure the subjective experience to measure whether the thing worked. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think a weakness of science with a capital S, as good as it is, is that a lot of things need to be measured in some kind of empirical way, right? So we try to come up with the best approximation that we can with these spiritual experience questionnaires. And it's like, well, sure, you could kind of try to quantify it the best you can. And there'll, there's going to be a little bit of like subjectivity in there and there's going to be some variation in there. And it's, it's not like scientific, quote unquote, right? It's like our closest approximation to data that we can get. But like you're saying, it's a, you can't get in someone's head and then like truly drill down into like exactly what's happening. So I think that's what makes psychedelics particularly hard for researchers to study because they're like, well, one of our variables is mystical experiences. What do we do with that? Right? Yeah, exactly. Psychedelic research is a real trip. <laughs> and we also learned that scientists took the most precise measurement of a neutron's lifetime ever. 14 minutes and 37.75 seconds. Plus or minus 0.28 seconds on average. But who's counting, right? Knowing this can teach us everything from how atoms behave to what happened moments after the Big Bang. And it might also teach us more about dark matter. What's that, Ashley? <laughs> That's the invisible stuff that makes up way more of our universe than the regular matter that we're used to. And it, it has mass, but it does not interact with light. And some experimental results involving beta decay haven't lined up with our predictions. And these measurements will help determine whether neutrons can decay into stranger stuff like dark matter, which is super exciting. In a perfect world, somebody would be able to take enough psychedelics to see dark matter. Whoa. Maybe that's the key. Maybe, maybe. In a highly controlled research environment, of course. Sure. There's probably dark matter in the room with both of us right now. What? What? Whoa. I'm home alone. What do I do? What if it comes <laughs> to get me? <laughs> Today's writers were Grant Curran and Brianna Brownell. Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer. Our producer and audio editor is Cody Goff. You can take the most precise measurement of a podcast's lifetime ever. Just literally look at your app and it'll, it'll tell you how long this episode is. And hey, after you're done doing that, join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.